Hey friends, my name is Chris Kloss and welcome to the Tinnitus Manifesto podcast. In this podcast, we look at all things related to musicians and hearing and hearing issues. Today, me and my co-host for the show, Nashville audiologist Dr. Rebecca Groom, continue with the physics of sound. We pick up at volume and start to wrestle with how all of the more physical measurable aspects of sound mix together and how neurology can basically screw the whole thing up. We then get into a little tangent on the benefits of music for the brain. Hope you enjoy the Tinnitus Manifesto, The Physics of Sound, Part 2. Volume. What, uh, how do you describe that? It's Basics, the intensity. Really yeah, intensity would be another one. Right. Um, I think like also... Pressure, um, increase of pressure, sound pressure. Yeah, intensity, loudness, that kind of stuff. Um, I always think about, um, loudness being more so a pitch thing. Um, so you can, you know, frequency and pitch, we talked earlier how they're right. kind of, um, interchangeable or they're similar. Yes. Um, I think to me in my head, pitch is more of a loudness measurement or a psychological perception of how much intensity is around that sound. So, um, you know, when I think about, um, uh, when I think about that, it's always like, okay, you were talking earlier about how the human ear, you would think that a piano would go over 4,000 Hertz. Yeah. So it's really interesting how some people perceive 4,000 Hertz as a high pitch sound. Right. And some people perceive 4,000 Hertz as a low pitch sound. Right. So I think when we talk about loudness or that kind of stuff, it's it's more of a perception thing. It's the co- how much color is in the sound that you're hearing. Yep. And this is why, you know, audio editing is such a huge thing, right? You know, production. <laughs> and as we got in with Peter last week, uh, you know, just the, or a couple uh, last episode, it's, it's just yeah that's where the magic happens to some extent that's what defines sound like that's what i, I often think and, and you can correct me if i'm wrong uh but if you if you just talk if you just spoke fundamental if you got rid of all the harmonics somehow you could be in a vacuum in a room right and have the fundamental pianos hit a note and then a fundamental guitar hit the same no same fundamental and you didn't have any of the harmonics they would sound remarkably similar right they would sound a lot more alike because a piano has different harmonics than a guitar does right that's the thing that defines their sound in many ways right correct and then the intensity of how you hit a piano key is going to be different than the intensity of how you hit right the attack uh as they call it attack when you're editing you know that kind of thing yeah um and attack and release of sound and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Uh, and this is how, again, envelope filters work. This is how uh pedal, like, uh, you know, any effects pedal works. So, you know, uh, a chorus pedal is just a uh, moving through frequencies, uh, a boosting of different types of frequencies at different rates and to create the sound that they're creating or crossing them and all that kind of stuff. Um, and one of the things that I found interesting is, yeah, part of the pianos and each individual piano sounds different because they each have different harmonic resonances, right? Correct. The, the, Your timbre. That's what, that's what gives them their distinct timbre. It gives them their distinct sound, whatever, all those freak, all those words you can use. 
but it's, it's their harmonic uh, makeup that defines how each piano sounds different from each mm-hmm. other, even though you might be hitting that same, you know, middle C or whatever. Yeah. 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 And, and it comes back to, again, that's what happens to us. Uh, uh, it's, it's not just objective. It's not just subjective. It's also objective. Correct. Right. So our brains, your brain hears it differently from my brain uh, as well. Uh, and my, your ear hears it differently because your ear shape is different from mine. Blah, 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 blah. All that stuff. Like it gets down to that individual. So, yes. And the other thing, too, that we need to talk about when it comes to intensity or volume is, um, you know, we measure sound in decibels. Right. So up until this point, we've been talking about frequency and Mm -hmm. simple calculations to calculate what frequency you're at. So if you go up an octave, you double your frequency. Um, Now that we're talking about loudness, Mm -hmm. it doesn't work like that. It's not a simple double calculation. It's more complicated. more subject, yes. more object, more subjective. Well, subjective. well, there's like a mathematical formula that you can use to determine. So, if you play a 1,000 hertz tone, right, at 30 dB, it's going to be perceptually louder than a 500 hertz tone at 30 dB. Yeah. So and why? Yes, and that is <laughs> well, it's energy, right? It's it's sort of it's the energy. energy, right? Yes, and that's where things get sticky, is yeah. because now we have in, instead of the simple simple calculation of like figuring out what a pitch or a tone or a note is, yep, um, volume or intensity of that signal um, varies depending on the pitch. Exactly. And that's, and again, that's what makes it so confusing and so challenging. And also, again, this explains why my human voice is registered as, as a hundred, you know, uh, uh, Hertz. Right. But the frequencies that are the, but that is not the loudest frequency you were hearing, right. You're hearing more than 300, 500, a thousand, 1500, 2000, from my voice mm-hmm. it's not yeah. that's so and that's and each one of those has a different volume right so and this is what you know and and we're we're also sort of explaining if you and, and everyone can do this right you run any music or any voice or anything through an eq you see this this is what we're talking mm-hmm. about essentially right yeah. so as you talk different you know frequencies are jumping up at different rates at different times right Correct. So you, and again, as an audiologist and trying to get a fit for a hearing aid, fit for an in-ear monitor has to take all of these things into account for the individual, correct? correct? Right. Yeah, so musicians, I think by default, think of SPL, DBSPL, yeah. sound pressure levels. Yeah. I have to think in HL, which is you know your, your hearing level, essentially. Um, which is half, essentially, right? Like It, or, it depends. It depends okay. on the frequency. So, for example, um, yeah. a 250 hertz tone, right? Um, mm-hmm. For to make that zero HL on my chart, it's 27 dB SPL. Okay. Now, a 1000 hertz tone to be zero on my HL chart is 7.5. So you see each frequency has its 
you know, musicians are thinking in SPL. Right. And I'm thinking in a, in a different, in a different metrics, essentially. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so explain why, and again, this, you know, most, a lot of what we've been talking about sort of explains why, but if you can sum it up, like why you are having to do it that way compared to why we are in this separate world, as far as those terms are concerned. Well, we have to think about sound from a true intensity level mathematically versus what the human ear is doing. Right. And those just don't match up. Because okay. of resonance, because of anatomy, because of perception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's more accurate, obviously. Your your approach is 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 more refined, at least for uh when it comes to individuals applying to individuals and in their hearing. Correct. And then would you say like the treatment? I guess it would be yeah. more of a treatment conversation. There you go. So SPL yeah. might be more general public. Yes. When you're out and about and you do a sound level reading. So I say, hey, go out. And um, this is where where I think this conversation needs to happen. So someone wants to start a hearing conservation program or we see the beginning stages of a noise notch at 4,000 hertz. And I'm like, you know what? What's your noise levels look like? What's your feed in your in-ear? I mean, any patient of mine who has come to see me and had this conversation, this is what I ask Mm -hmm. them. What are you listening to? You know, how many um, minutes or how many hours is your set? What type of set do you play? I need to know all of these things because I want them to get an SPL reading. I want to know without anything in your ears. Right. How much noise are you exposed to? I want to know how much your peak is, what's your highest SPL reading. Right. I want to know what your average SPL reading is. Yeah. Based on your show. Yep. Now, in the human ear, we're not going to just pull away. If if, if their peak is 105. Right. We're not going to just pull away 105 dBSPL away from them. Right. We are bringing them down and making judgments for what is an acceptable amount of db perception so if someone comes in and they have a uh let's say they have a 60 db hl noise notch in at 4k we're not adding in 60 db of hl at 4k for them to perceive that or to make the sound more Mm. um normal right and again, this is it's it's the mathematical it's, formula that you kind of have to approach. And that's where you're getting your half gain rule. You're thinking of that's the amplification. It is, the half gain rule. Right. The half gain rule. So if someone comes in and they are like, hey, my mix doesn't sound right, my vocals don't sound right in my feed, I say, okay, we're not going to EQ this to zero. We're going to do a half gain rule. Right. So if you right. have 40 dB loss at a frequency, you're going to add in 20 dB of gain. There it is. There it is. That's what I was, and and that's sort of a uh, a rough translation. Trying to apply more to to speaking to you, uh, to yeah. the uh, from the audiologist's perspective, right? Yeah. Uh, our pers- we we're talking about SPL is a external right reading versus yeah. HL is an internal 
internal human ear perception and how we apply treatment. Okay. Uh, You actually had mentioned one of the episodes, uh, talk, you know, downloading that decibel, the app, go ahead and mention it again, just for the heck of it, because it is helpful. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're going to talk about like hearing conservation and and noise measurements and whatnot, um, what's that? NIOSH. NIOSH NIOSH is the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. They're the conservative group that does all of the research for appropriate listening levels. They do have a DB reader. Yeah. That you can download. I would recommend any musician getting it. It's just a free app. You can use it. It is free app. And it's fun to play with. And the NIOSH one is the conservative one. So for NIOSH, you start at 80 dB um, for eight hours. And for every three dB you go up, you cut right. your time in half. And that's, you know, I'm looking at the numbers, some numbers right here. And again, see, this is, it's always interesting to me to look at sort of the dB ratings of, of instruments compared to the NIOSH recommended uh, yeah. times to listening and Correct. just, you know, and again, I'm looking at, you know, what, so we can just, link that, we can link that resource, like where yeah, we, I mean, we can do in the comment on, section. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just, I mean, but again, it's interesting. 60 dBs is, is roughly conversation level, like for, for 60, speaking. 65. Yep. Mm-hmm. 65. And, and again, this is, it, it varies, you know, it's still more complicated for you as an audiologist if you were trying to adjust someone's hearing at 60 dB, right? We're going back to the the half rule, you know, and mm-hmm. stuff, same thing. To, to avoid, I don't want to get into the, get too confused here. So we're just going to keep it at decibels. And if you want to correct or change anything, but again, <laughs> when it's, but I, I know I, I did notice if you're playing piano loudly, it gets anywhere from 85 to 103 decibels. Mm-hmm. SPL. And uh, it says, looking at, at uh, the NIOSH stuff, you don't want to spend more than an hour at 94 decibels. Correct. You don't want to spend 15 minutes at 100 decibels. You don't want to spend more than three and a half minutes roughly at 106 decibels. Mm -hmm. So the piano goes up to 100, you know, uh, uh, whatever, a loud piano goes up at 103. So what, you can only listen to a loud piano for, um, you know, three minutes without damage? Of course, these are the conservative estimates. That's conservative estimates. But also, that's loud loud piano. Yeah, the easiest way to... The easiest way to take that measurement is to download the app, right? Run a ten or fifteen minute, thirty minute if you can, yeah. time weighted average, right? And use that number, your average number, as as um, your full listening volume. Yeah, if you're playing, you know, because you're going to be below that, and you're going to be over it, like throughout that throughout that time. So. Yeah, strictly speaking, if you download the app, you could you know, get on stage, just put your phone down, turn it on, have the app on play for a set, have it do all the readings. You could probably get yeah. all the readings you need in one set and just find Correct. out. Yeah. That's actually, you know, um, pretty easy. That's cool. That's yeah. yeah. That's a, a big, that's a quick uh, way to get readings of what you're experiencing and it'll help your audiologist. You come in and you show them what this and they'll, you know, their hair will stand up on end when they see how loud it is. <laughs> No, we don't. Uh, it just gives us information. We can yeah, realistically their, their talk. Yeah. Shoot off their head and, uh, you know, 
<laughs> Is that why my hair looks bad all the time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that's you know. That's, that's your that's a good excuse. You can always use that if you need to. Now on, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, you know, the thing is, um, some there are some musicians and people, and we're not talking just musicians. I mean, I work with factory people in construction, factory work, right. all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Um, you know, the music industry is essentially un monitored right whereas if right. you're working in a, that way yeah. unregulated yeah so if you're working in a factory or you're working construction or you're working with a company they have to follow osha regulations right now niosh does the research and says this is what we believe is best and they take it to osha and osha takes it to unions and lobbies and says you yeah. know this is too conservative let's find a happy medium so right. that's why a lot of people think it's the 5 db so Instead of 80, 83, 86, it's 85, 80, 85, 85. 90. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if you don't like being that conservative, as long as you're measuring things and being slightly mindful, I don't care which formula you're using. Yeah. Um, it's just right. being aware. It's awareness of this is what I'm exposed to. Yeah. And this is what we're, you know, ultimately trying to do in this podcast and this, in this whole project. Um, mm-hmm. It is. Set back to uh, saving that one billion cochlear hairs, you know, and just information, <laughs> knowledge is power, you know. So, yeah. so again, back to the combination. You have this the combination of harmonics, volume, pitch. Uh, they change each other. You can't just look at one independently, right? They all change each other. They affect each other. As an audiologist, again, you're that's is that is there anything more to your formula when you're trying to take into account speech as well as music? And and or, or maybe another question might be how do you alter that formula relative to speech and music? I think the whole point of this podcast so far is to differentiate and for people to understand not only the language barrier between musicians Mm -hmm. and audiologists right but also understanding that music and speech is very different because of what type of sound you're getting with music versus Mm -hmm. speech totally Mm And then, you know, the scary part is always, you know, we can talk all day about sound and pitch and harmonics and that kind of stuff. <laughs> but the scary part is, what does that mean in terms of what you are perceptually hearing? And then once you get that baseline measurement, how are we going to manipulate that sound and right. retrain your brain? So you can use the tools that you're provided with to to function better. Yeah, and again, we've been trying to avoid the neurology uh, part of this, but and and of course, it's it's impossible essentially to not incorporate that to some extent. Uh, we've done a quite a good job so far, <laughs> you know, for this episode. And we and uh, I want listeners uh, to know that this is we're. Uh, we are actively avoiding that in this particular episode. We're trying to just get, you know, the basics of the physics of sound. Uh, it's very easy to fall into that, that uh, 
you know, that rabbit hole, right. Of, yeah. of perception and, and all that kind of thing. And again, it's, it's almost impossible to avoid because you as an audiologist needs to define, you need to define the difference between music and hearing and how for, for musicians, we, like you said, we don't, we're not seeing it that way. Yeah. Anytime you're speaking to a musician, that's the first question you have, like in your head, or that's the first, the, those, that's what you are, you know, you are, those are your wheels turning saying, yeah. okay, it's your music. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. we're playing between those two things. And I think again, if, if there's one good hint for those of us, uh, any, any musician, any artist out there, any, anybody's listening who does wear hearing aids or is thinking of getting them. Um, if you're a musician, you definitely want to try to have two different settings. You can't, they won't agree. Like I know, same with me like when i sit at my piano i have to change my my hearing setting because the and it doesn't it's not bad like the 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 speech setting works but it's not as full it's not as rich it's not as resonant all that stuff and i do know other musician friends who wear hearing aids who do the same thing and quite frankly some of us prefer to live if we're not doing a lot of conversation if we're not really having to you know focus on we it's kind of nice to live in that you know what they call call what sometimes is called the, the quiet setting yeah because it, it, you're hearing more uh yeah. i'll have to go for a walk outside and i'll just be amazed like last night i had the quiet setting on i'm walking the yeah, i i saw you recently got the new settings we changed the quiet a little bit and i can hear the difference and i was outside and i just i was hearing the cicadas compared to the the birds at night compared to the the cars yeah. going by and it was just like my god this is so cool uh and a lot of that is these upper frequencies, which is something that, you know, have this, the, the new setup I have has added so much more richness uh, that yeah. way. Um, I think it's, um, I, and I, I, I'm sure you can agree. I think a lot of it is um, a control thing too, right? Because you, when you lose control over something, obviously it causes anxiety and it causes oh, yeah. a sense of a loss of self. And so when we talk about hearing loss and noise exposure and potentially treating that or overcoming it, right. Initially you lose a sense of self because you don't understand where your reference point is anymore. So again, we don't want to get into neurology, but your reference point is in your head Uh and that reference point has changed slowly over time. And now all of a sudden we're uh, digitally changing things that you're not in control of what's you you how many times have you come into my office and you're like can you please turn off the compression and I'm like no (laughs) (laughs) I can't (laughs) that's what I call the baseline for me like I have to reestablish and and again this is my own language I don't know you know I think probably your your terminology is more correct you didn't call it the baseline you called it just uh what did you just refer to it as this uh uh this you know just your your point of reference right the sound so the way I hear like I every time I get a new hearing aid I have to change my what I call my hearing baseline what you're calling the point of reference right and that's such a huge adjustment. Like I said, when we're, you know, you get a new set of hearing, a new set of uh, uh, studio monitors, it's the mm-hmm. same thing. You have to change, okay. you have to adjust, you have to learn how these frequencies sound from this device. 
and okay. and there's some adjustments you can make to change that but there's only so much you can do uh and of course yeah over time if you if you haven't worn if, if you know, you've lost your hearing over eight or ten years like kind of like we were talking about with peter last episode uh it, you know you suddenly you get these this new device and everything sounds bright and insane and uncomfortable and sometimes unpleasant and part of it is you need to adjust to that there's always a hard adjustment there that's yeah. been the big challenge for me i've gotten i'm getting better at it. i like now i'm okay like it's happened so many times it's, it's become a game like just <laughs> getting adjusted to the new uh device right or the new setting it's, it's become sort of this adventure how can my brain adjust now or yeah. what, what differences am i finding it's really and and it's it's I strangely enough, I think it's probably healthy for my brain. I think it's neural I'm challenging my neuroplasticity every time I'm doing this, right? When I get a new device in, my brain is having to evolve. And when I play the piano, I'm trying to yeah. bend my hearing towards this new setup. And it's it's a learning experience. It, it's stimulating though. It feels kind of cool, you know. Yeah. The um I think it's when we get to um like kind of the neuroscience side of this. Right. I think it'll be really good for us to talk about cognitive therapy and how sound and music is is becoming the gold standard for for cognitive therapy. And yeah. so, you know, that definitely should be appealing to musicians who find themselves potentially, you know, if they have severe noise induced hearing loss or they're struggling right. with um background noise or they have their extended high frequencies gone. Yeah. Um that we can go back to something they love to provide the the treatment and to rebuild those neurological pathways. And so when we do talk about neuroscience and and that kind of stuff, we'll really we'll we'll really dive into music therapy and cognitive therapy and um, some of the other really fun things that are are kind of taking the forefront for treatment methods. I again can speak. Um, with a direct experience from this and just from having this sort of after stopping playing for a while and then getting back into it and getting more into the piano it's a neurologic like you know we'll get into this my my mom died of early early onset alzheimer's at 70 right i'm 54 yeah. you know and she started noticing it around 60 so shit man i want to keep my brain working you know if yeah. it's in my family plus i have hearing issues like, of course, hearing issues are are known to cause, you know, uh, brain, you know, oh, yeah. uh, Alzheimer's, these kinds of problems, uh, dementia. So, yeah, I'm fighting that like a motherfucker, man. Like, you know, and, and <laughs> piano, honestly, is a way to do it. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm learning these Bach pieces. I'm trying to really learn, you know, right and left independence. And I feel like, yeah, you know, it's it's helping me in so many different levels, not just the way I'm hearing my ear, my ears are tuning in my my ability to hear and tune, I think is improving, is getting better because I'm just tuning into things better. And plus, just the mental stimulation, the right and left brain, right, and left body, all that stuff. It's yeah. Uh, and yeah, uh, I think this is going to be something more pronounced as we get in as we get into this because and more valuable people are going to be listening to this because of partially because of this stuff too, because yeah. it's uh, brain health. It's not just hearing health. It is brain it health. It is brain health. Yeah. I know we have a, we have a grand piano at my house and I grew up playing all throughout high school, but my right. husband, you know, Nick is, he plays beautifully and he's he can a, yeah, sight read and he can, yeah, yeah right. he's the musician part. Um, 
in my family. But um, yeah, I sat down last night and Chris, you know that life has been a little bit crazy for me <laughs> this month right. or this right. summer, really. Yep. And um, I haven't played piano in probably six months. And of course I sit down and I try to play. And the first thing I said to myself was not that my hands aren't working, but my brain's not working. I was yeah. like, this is, it's not, I, I, I've literally been playing the same song since I was 18. I haven't like learned a new song since I was 18 <laughs> years old. I've right. been playing these songs for almost 20 years. Right. So it's not my fingers, it's my brain. And yeah. after I got through about an hour of just tinkering around, I was like, gosh, I just feel so much better. Now my pinky hurts, but <laughs> <laughs> well, and yeah, it's a uh, it's been like I said, it's been a kind of a life change for me getting into piano after, like uh you know, I've talked in one of the the solo episode I talk about sort of the evolution of my, you know, being a musician and then yeah. kind of just stopping everything and yeah. getting back into it. And uh, I'm, I feel like I'm a, I'm starting fresh again. I, you know, I am an adult musician. I'm adult uh, piano student, essentially. Like I really am learning some basic shit, you know, and just like a lot of these basic piano, like I could always write and hit chords, but I couldn't, didn't have right, left independence, didn't have all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it is, it's awesome. I love it. And, and I do feel, I mean, it's, it brings so much joy. Like it's a therapy to me. I find it, it calms my brain down to Correct. sit for an hour, have 45 minutes, half hour, just trying to work on a piece and trying to refine it and get yep. the metronome on. I find it, it is really a, uh, it's therapy in so many different ways. Um, I, I'm uh, so grateful to, that I have the time and the opportunity and the ability now to really do that uh, and enjoy doing it. It's cool. Yeah, uh, I know Perry, um, Perry needs to start some, I think we're going to do drum lessons for him just from a rhythm standpoint, but we're cool. going to get him in piano too. And I was just like, man, right. I'm so excited to do this so I can sit down and relearn. Yeah, right. And that's a great, you know, teaching is the best way to learn. So you, you, you know, you do a little teaching and you'll remember all the shit that, you know, you knew and stuff like that mm -hmm. too, which is, mm -hmm. uh, um, but yeah, I kind of wish I had focused a little more on piano earlier on. Like I look back, I'm like, man, I think I would have understand, understood the bass better if I had learned a little more piano or, I mean, again, like no regrets, I, I but um, I feel like I'm, a much more thorough musician now than I was even just a year ago or two years ago, mm -hmm. just learning the piano more specifically. So I think that's funny because I'm always like, man, I really want, I really want Perry to learn guitar. So he understands chords. Piano is better to learn chords, man. No, I mean, or at least really? theory, right? Well, guitar, I mean, guitar is kind of, in some ways it's easier to just play a G and to learn that stuff. But if you're learning theory, if you're learning chords, you can see it on piano, right? That's you know true. what a C major looks like. That's that's sort of what I mean. I learned bass first, and I think my understanding of theory would have been richer if I'd learned piano earlier. You yeah, I guess I mean? that's true. and just yeah. the understanding, like you said, you can see you the twelve the twelve tones. You can see them, you know, and you just piano is better that way. I think. Yeah, I didn't um, think of it that way. Mm -hmm. I'm. I don't. And, you know, I'm newfangled on the piano. And like I said, I've always loved piano. I could play a little bit, but I've never really tried to learn like a piano player, you know, uh, in, a, in a proper way. Um, yeah. And I'm finding that really hard. It's a piano is a difficult <laughs> instrument. man. It's a challenging. Yeah. I didn't realize, you know, anyone who knows how to play like, ah, no, nah, I can do it. It's easy. But no, uh, I'm trying to learn that. Uh, 
the Charlie Brown theme song. Da, 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 you know, uh, da, 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 That's rhythmically know. challenging. It is really like, yeah, the right and left hand is funky as hell. Very I different. No yeah, ryth- rhythms going uh, on. I try um, to play it, but I I slaughter it right now. Um, I'll just need to, you know, but it is one of the things I've been working on. And I realize how great it is for my brain to be doing again that that syncopated stuff in the right left sides bass doesn't yeah. play that way right it's it's more that's true uh it's a very different in, uh psychology it's fun yeah that know. whole um like that chris uh the vince i never say his name right vince garaldi garaldi yeah. his that like chris the charlie brown christmas piano music oh yeah um, it's very the best challenging. It, yeah, it's so all hard, very, though. yeah, it's all really hard. Well, it's yeah. a sort of a, cla- a mix between classical and, you know, uh, classical jazz. And, and jazz and sort of pop. Like it's a very strange yeah. combination of all of them. And it goes into the swing modes and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, that's but not that's my jam. My, yeah, yeah, no, that, that, it's it's more my jam, I think, you know, and again, I, I came from a jazz <laughs> background, so I can kind of improvise on piano and do that shit. My goal for Christmas is to be able to play through, you know, at least one or two of those songs. So I start, yeah. it's August. I'm starting now. <laughs> is it, is it Scott Joplin that did all the ragtime stuff? Yeah. Scott Joplin. Yeah. Any, right. Oh my gosh. I just remember trying to learn one of those stupid ragtime songs. And I was like, oh, you know what? <laughs> this is just not for me. Oh, exactly. It's really, you know, it's challenging, yeah. you know, but it's so neurologically, stimulating that's what i'm finding like it's 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 uh i'm working so hard at it i feel so stupid i think you know if i was six years old i'd be learning this stuff three times faster than i am now i'm sure of it that's my brain true. i'm just old and my brain is forget i have to forget more because <laughs> you can't hear 1300 hertz that's why <laughs> well yeah no no and it's not that it's because i have too much shit in my head already i gotta unlearn yeah. shit like uh, my brain. I'm, I've trained my brain to play a certain way, play bass a certain way. So I have to tune yeah. my fingers to do totally different things. And respond. it's no, it's really neurologically fun. It's very. I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's good for you. It's better yeah, than cardio. I'll tell you what. So this seems like a good place to end part two of the physics of sound. It's basic anatomy for the next couple of episodes, the outer ear, the middle ear, and the inner ear, and we'll be looking at them through the lens of the musician and the audiologist. Uh, The website will be up this week at thetinnitusmanifesto.com. You can reach us there, or you can find us on the social medias, Facebook, YouTube, and eventually some other stuff too. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas, you can reach me at chris at thetinnitusmanifesto.com. Thanks, y'all, and do not burn those cochlear hairs. Whoa.